you're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. We're your hosts, Brandon and Daniela, and this is episode 24. Hello, people. Hi. Today, to kind of follow up on our talk of coffee, something that's not generally thought of as necessarily being fermented, another one that's oftentimes lumped into that category is chocolate as well, because it's oftentimes not thought of as a fermented food either. Which is my favorite topic of all that we have done so far. Or that we're about to do? Yes. Chocolate? Yes, I love chocolate. Chocolate More beats than the anything. coffee episode for you. It beats coffee, it beats fermented food, it beats everything. Okay. Well then, good. Uh, what, what, uh, what is it about chocolate that, that excites you so much? I think I'm addicted and it's delicious. So, you know, and plus I honestly don't know too much about the chocolate... Um, making process or the fermentation process or really I don't know that much about chocolate um, at all how where it comes from how it's processed so this will be a, a very this is a very exciting episode for me you mean you didn't know anything until you did a, a bunch of extensive research <laughs> so you were prepared for this podcast right some research I think uh, it will be one of those episodes where I question you quite a bit to understand what's going on okay well I will preface this with saying that like chocolate is definitely not my um, and something that I have known a whole bunch about. I've known some. And back when I was roasting a lot of coffee, you know, a few years back, I considered as a home coffee roaster, it just seemed like a natural evolution to, you know, get into making chocolate, roasting uh, cacao beans and, and doing the whole process. It's a little bit more involved. Just the, just the whole process. And the fermentation happens, though, still at... At the origin country. More so involved in coffee? Definitely more so involved for the process. I mean, just processing the, the cacao bean into chocolate, there's a lot more steps, a little bit more specialty equipment. Yes, it can be done without specialty equipment, but if you're going to be talking about making anything that's that doesn't take, I guess, an extreme amount of physical labor or, or just time consuming, I mean, there's, there's just different stages that take a while. And that's what just amazes me. It seems like stuff that takes a while to actually um, make or like the process from like the plant to the foods, you know, it seems that, you know, coffee, chocolate, some of those things take there. There's a lot that's going on. And yet somehow it manages to be so cheap. And I know there's good chocolate that's slightly high quality, that's more expensive, but still it seems to be cheap. Whereas, you know, fermented organic sauerkraut is expensive and it's just kind of it's interesting to me because fermented even organic you know sauerkraut doesn't involve that much labor whereas all of these things do take quite a bit of work yet somehow they manage to be cheaper it's just an interesting um well i think that 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 is is kind of interesting to think about because well for one we're talking about things that say sauerkraut if you want to talk about specialty sauerkraut or any kind of fermented vegetable when you're talking about those uh kind of things you're talking about something that is made completely stateside or, or for products sold in the united states so um made in the united states well sold and made in the united states we're talking very specifically with what we're familiar with here so when you're talking about a specialty sauerkraut which hasn't been mass produced that is on made on the small scale you're talking about people that want to make a reasonable living at U.S. wages and also it's a specialty item and it's kind of, uh, you know, 
not necessarily as popular. So it's, it's marketed as something uh, being much more special and it's harder to store and different things like that. There's, there's many aspects to uh, say a fermented vegetable that's going to be sold raw and unpasteurized that has to be taken into consideration. Whereas you have all those kind of steps and you have a lot of different things going on in coffee or tea or chocolate, all the fermentation, all the, a lot of the hard work, all the harvest, all a lot of, most of the work is done outside of the finished sold product country. You know, it's, it's like we import these things in the United States, but the labor is much cheaper. It's uh, cheaper to, you know, a lot of these things, especially if you're talking about in the commodity market, I mean, you're talking about coffee or chocolate, you know, those, those are, are, are commodities. And so that's why those are a lot cheaper. Whereas, you know, if you're talking about cabbage or any kind of vegetable, I mean, those are, you know, we're, those are being farmed here. And if you're talking about organic or otherwise, I mean, it's just, it, it is, it is interesting with these different, these different food items that are taken for granted as something that we have just regular, re- readily available, kind of similar in a lot of ways to salt and other, all the other topics that we've talked about. I mean, these things that are readily available today, spices, salt, specialty items such as coffee or chocolate, they weren't easily accessible at one point. They were like a, a luxury or at least something that even if it wasn't a luxury, if it was a necessity, something such as salt, it was something that was much more appreciated. Whereas now it's like, yeah, table salt, it's everywhere. It's on every restaurant table or kitchen table or table and dinner. And it's just, it, it is interesting to think about all these things that we can just take for granted. I mean, yes, you can extrapolate or, out and get, take so many things that are brought and made easier either through industrialization or technology or just outsourcing that, uh, the ease of, of import export nowadays that we can just take for advantage, uh, take for granted. Or, unless, or not even necessarily know where it comes from or how, you know, like, even for me, honestly, chocolate is something I've always, as a kid, always loved, and I still love chocolate. I mean, I'm I'd rather eat chocolate over chips or any kind of carb stuff, um, food item. But I even didn't really have an idea of really where chocolate comes from, comes from the process that it takes to get it to the form that I'm consuming it in. And so, it's it is interesting that a. I think a lot of us don't really know where a lot of the foods that you, like you say, we take for granted. We have no idea where it really comes from or, you know, all the work involved in it. So um, I think for me, I'm just becoming really appreciative and I enjoy looking into these obscure item, food items that are so readily available and to really understand their origin. And it it makes me appreciate it so much more and um, even, you know, my decision in purchasing a specific chocolate, I am more willing to pay a little bit more and get a better um, quality item. Even just from doing research and, and understanding how involved it is, I am more willing to pay more. Um, yeah, I mean, well, that's kind of the idea is that these things do take a lot of effort. And in reality, like you're saying, that a lot of these commodity items are way undervalued for what they are. So that means that either the livelihood of the farmers and workers in other countries that are doing these things are, you know, not as good. There was a, a, a BBC food radio program that covered this, uh, I think a couple years ago or whatnot, uh, all about chocolate that I, re- I listened to recently. And I'll, I'll try to remember to put that in the show notes as well. That gets more into the ethical side of chocolate, which we're not definitely not getting into today, but you know, things like, um, 
child labor, you know, where children haven't seen their parents for, for years as they're really? out working with machetes and, and harvesting and, and working on, I mean, because, because chocolate is so cheap. Happens? Definitely. I mean, wow. I don't, again, I think this was from a couple of years ago. So these things are, are working towards being changed, but I think it was something, a statistic of, of, of the goal is by 2020 to have 80% of the issues with the child labor laws be or with child labor be eliminated because it is such a complicated issue and we are talking about something that's so cheap and the more that the large i guess it's it's the more that large companies realize that there is a market for uh, chocolate that is more expensive then it may change those kind of things and and i think yes the more someone understands about all the steps that go involved in it and so that's one way to you know go to our artisanal chocolate maker who is creating chocolate bars on a small batch scale is definitely a much better, easier way to get connected and understand the whole process that goes on. And then some of those are doing some more direct trade and working directly with different farmers in other countries to really understand the whole path that the chocolate is taking. And, and yes, that is to a certain extent, I wouldn't call it a fad, but it is definitely, I mean, it's, it, it ties in with all the things that I'm interested in because I like seeing that connection. Why? I don't know. Is it, is it just, making me superficially feel better for something that otherwise is still rather um probably you know it, it's just i like the story that comes along with it you know like i there's 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 a lot to it i think that there is meaning in a lot of these different things and i i definitely value it especially the more i understand about chocolate or when i first started to begin to understand about chocolate a few years back i think that it 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 affects the enjoyment for myself. It's kind of like eating meat and knowing that the pigs were in a room that they couldn't move in at all and eating pork. For me, I have a heart. I can't eat pork anymore. Conventional pork, just from a simple image I've seen of pork. Not that we're getting into this right now, but I understand what you mean. It's just, it's kind of like you're more, you're willing to spend more, um, knowing, or hopefully, you know, knowing that the, the farmer or whoever is producing this is getting a, a, a good wage or a better life out of it. And so, um, and, and again, all these things are very complicated. Yes. I mean, there, and it's, it's difficult to say a better wage or a better, better way of life. I mean, there's a lot of things that we're dealing with a lot of different countries with all kinds of different, um, issues or otherwise going on politically in the countries or otherwise that would also be affecting things like this. So this is, but, but for many of these countries, chocolate or coffee or tea are, are major exports. So it, it gets, it gets a little complicated. And, and I don't think there's, there's a lot of people that are spending way more time thinking about that kind of stuff that we really probably shouldn't even be, be talking about it in that sense, because I don't think by no means I'm, we're experts. Yeah. And I, I'm not nearly as knowledgeable about all this stuff. And I think anything I would say, I could look at it from a different angle and, and see it a different way, but it is interesting to, to look at, at chocolate and, and the, the chocolate trees. Those things are awesome and look so cool. Yeah, Theobroma cacao. That's the tree oh, you're talking that's the about. Tree? Okay, thank you. Yeah, anyone who's listening to this, if you haven't looked at a, I'm just going to say a chocolate tree, <laughs> chocolate tree, really should Google it. It's They look pretty sweet. A little freaky too, but really cool. Yeah, call them cacao trees, if anything. Cacao trees. Okay, sounds good. Um, if, if, if that, because they, they're, they're not chocolate. The chocolate does not grow on trees. <laughs> I know, I know. It's a totally incorrect way of stating it. Because from 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 seed... 
to which is often referred to as a chocolate bean from seed to finished chocolate bar at least on the artisanal scale i don't know how industrialized can make it much different but it takes about a month from harvest to a chocolate bar or that's the the, kind of the shortest amount of time that it can kind of kind of be before you're going to get a a chocolate bar which is a long time really for how much chocolate we in the united states consume and have of course a lot of that chocolate isn't yeah i mean it's it's there's well okay so let's look at look at those trees that you're talking about Uh, i think what you think is kind of freaky or cool about them or what i like about them is that that they are just tall stalks and they have some leaves but the interesting thing is that the fruit these these hard outer shelled fruits that hold the cacao beans on the inside are uh, which also have some sweet flesh on the inside that uh, that a person can eat raw. Sweet flesh? Yeah, it tastes sweet, and 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 I don't think it tastes anything like chocolate. It's but it tastes like a fruit. And so what you you have there is it, it grows right on the trunk of the tree, if you will. So it doesn't grow out like many fruits are growing out farther. I mean, I guess that like say something like uh, coconuts grow that same kind of way. Only coconuts. I, I could be top. wrong about this. I'm just trying to think about it. But coconuts grow on the trunk, possibly, but they're right at the top. Whereas this is down farther. Like the, you have the leaves up at the top. You have a long stalk that's you know not not too tall. I mean, it's not much taller than a person. I think ever, and a lot of times shorter. But then you have the 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 cacao fruit growing along the trunk, along the trunk, down. even farther down. And it Oops. has to be harvested correctly. Otherwise, it won't grow back on that nub. Or uh, that's not a proper botanical term but (laughs) that that spot it won't flower again unless it's harvested correctly but these these trees grow in uh humid and tropical regions kind of like coffee right yeah very similar growing regions uh generally different areas but but along the equatorial region is in either direction is where you get a lot of it you do get it it really is it's kind of anywhere because like say you have mexico and hawaii are both growing chocolate they're both growing coffee as well so it just depends on on the region the one thing i don't know is i think that i don't i don't think that high quality chocolate trees have to grow at the same altitude that high quality uh, coffee Coffee does. I could I could be wrong on that, but I, I, I didn't see that as much being a thing about altitude, but being closer to the equator, I mean, that probably is some of it as well. Anyway, so that they they possibly can grow a little bit higher up, but, they, but it's, a, it's a lot more tropical, I'd say. And uh, each pod, each cocoa pod is going to hold approximately 40 beans. And they're large, right? I mean, it's... The cocoa pods, yeah, you, you know, you got like a, a little mini... I mean, they're kind of shaped almost like a, an American football. And they're probably about half the size of American football, I'd say. Okay. Yeah, I mean, still. I don't know if that's a good measurement for anyone, but I don't know anything (laughs) about football, but, um, but, but you know what a football looks like. Yeah, exactly. That's a good start. Uh, And a kid's kid size American football, probably something like that. It's kind of, that's kind of the shape, only more ribbed along the, like has more. uh, And so when you get the pod off of the, the tree, what is it that you do with it? Well, it's important that when it's, because it's, it's a thick shell, it's probably about a uh, half to a one inch thick shell. And it's, it's hard. Like you can knock on it and it's, it's, it's a tough thing. And so you have to get into there, break it open. And then it's How do you important. break it open generally? Well, it, can, it can be cut open. It can be cracked open. Okay. It, Would it be like a walnut in a sense? Maybe. 
No, because a walnut, I don't think you can cut open. But you I mean you can oh, you cut could, this open yeah. with a machete or a knife. Okay. But the very important thing is not to damage any of the beans on the inside, which are or the 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 seeds, which are often referred to as beans. So that's the that's something that's very important is because if they are injured, then it's going to affect the fermentation process, which is the next step. But they they actually start the, those seeds on the inside of that pod which are are relatively large they're you know definitely larger than an almond uh but a little bit bigger i can't think of the exact size but you have about 40 of those once those are are taken out they're gonna as soon as that is actually as soon as that cocoa pot is harvested it's going to start to those seeds are going to start to germinate so they're they're ready to go you know it's not like some seeds if you, if you garden, like take, you know, a certain amount of time to germinate under certain conditions. It's like, those are, as soon as it's picked, bam, it's going to start, um, it's going to start doing its thing. But that is, if they, if they germinate too far, it's going to create too many bitter compounds in the, the finished Product. cacao beans, seeds, however you want to call them. And then, uh, it, it, so, so it's important that the, that the, in order for it not to get too bitter, which there are bitter compounds in, in cacao bean or seeds anyway, but in order for it to not turn too bitter for it, in order for it to get that regular chocolate taste, the fermentation needs to be started. And the pulp, which is surrounding those seeds is mostly water, but it's 10 to 15% sugars. So it's a ripe condition for yeast to start converting the sugars into alcohol. And it's that, that, that high sugar content, Gets, that pulp gets converted in, into the, the sugars. I'd be sorry, gets converted into the alcohols. And then the yeast are, again, killed, as in uh, the same kind of process that yeast usually goes through is yeast create an alcoholic environment and then they die in the process. It's kind of a suicidal mission, I feel, of sorts. But it's it's kind of romantic and sad. I always think about when I think about yeast. But Thank you for that. But yeah, so the yeast start out, they do their thing, but then they're creating an environment that's good for, for lactic acid bacteria. And once those lactic acid bacteria get started in there, it gets hot, you know? So on the second day or so, you're talking temperatures. I, I mean, I could have the day slightly off. But it depends. Just to backtrack a, a little bit though. So when you crack open the shell, you would empty out the the beans or the seeds in, because I think from what I've looked at, a little bit of information I've looked into it, it's, I mean, they have them in buckets, like full buckets of... Not buckets. It's, well, okay. It can be done in buckets. But it's generally in sweat boxes or otherwise. So, okay, yes, I did. I, it probably would be important to just <laughs> say how it's fermented, what it's fermented in. It's air, open air fermentation. It's wild fermentation. Now, there are direct set fermentation processes where they're inoculating with specific yeast or bacteria. That's a, that's a very less, much so less common than, say, in Why other... would anyone do that, though, if it's already ready to be fermented? The idea is to create certain compounds. I mean, microbiologists and uh, food scientists are looking at ways on the industrial scale of creating specific results. Whereas wild fermentation, as anyone knows, that's done any kind of wild fermentation in their kitchen. is unpredictable. Slightly unpredictable, not always fully consistent. Whereas if, if they can isolate specific bacteria or yeast that are doing specific things and they can inoculate it with that at the beginning and let those ones take over, because we're talking about a fermentation of about five to seven days. I so it's it's I, not a long period of time. But I wouldn't. It, I w- it wouldn't affect flavor, though, would it? It would affect flavor. That fermentation is like a major changes, part of so, the flavor of chocolate. So essentially, the way it's fermented kind of decides what kind of flavor that coffee is going to 
not coffee, whoa, um, the end product is going to have. Because, because we've had, both of us have tried some, uh, what do you, I don't know what the proper term is. The I'm going to say single origin, but I think that's a coffee term. Like that's the, a, definitely a chocolate term. Oh, is well. it too? Mm-hmm. Um, we've had some single origin chocolate that is, and they there is definitely different flavors. And it's just plain. Um, there's nothing else added to it to add different flavor but it it, it's kind of like coffee chocolate has different i mean different flavors and we're not talking about milk and dark i mean this is just dark when we're just talking about dark chocolate some of that will be affected slightly by how it's processed and roasted but yes much of the flavor is brought on by the fermentation arguably and some may disagree or otherwise say that i'd say with chocolate the fermentation stage is probably a, a larger factor in the uh the finished taste as opposed to origin. So geography is going to make less of a less of a difference based on where it's grown. Whereas coffee, you can say that terroir and uh, the, the 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 soil, the temperature, everything about the geography will affect the coffee. You know, and, and again, it's it's very hard not to talk about chocolate and, and not make connections to to coffee. So that's why we keep jumping back and forth and because, because there, so there are so similar in so many ways. But with chocolate, a lot of that flavor is developed in the fermentation stage. Now, you could argue that the fermentation, since most of it is still done wild, it is still terroir. It's still going to be geography that's going to make a difference because there's going to be different microorganisms in different areas. So you can say that the fermentation, the wild fermentation that takes place at specific areas in the world is what gives you that single origin taste. Now, some may disagree with me I, that that's kind of... Not only where I kind of theorize that things go, but it also is a little bit of the the research that I could find in that regard. That much more of it, the taste, unlike coffee, where fermentation plays a role in the taste, but it's still it's still kind of open as to how much fermentation is really going on. It's a part of some coffees, but not all. But with with chocolate, it is going to be something that it's it's what creates those volatile compounds that is going to give it those kind of flavors. Which is why someone would do direct set versus just do a wild fermentation. Exactly. It's going to, the idea is to get more specific flavors, a flavor profile that is, is wanted. Now the romantic side of me really likes the wild fermentation. I like that in general. Anyway, I like it with, with most things. And that's the most common way that it's done, right? Yeah. And well, it is, it is still the most common way now, again, moving forward, progression, technology, otherwise, some would argue that the direct set would be a much, and I don't know if it's efficient. referred to as direct set, but yeah, efficient and consistent, which can make a difference. When you're talking about cheaper quality chocolate, I don't know, you know, they're, well, especially cheaper chocolate uh, quality chocolate is generally milk chocolate, so you get a lot less of the chocolate flavor anyway. It's like a, a hint of chocolate. It's kind of like a, a latte and espresso. You know, it, most of that is covered up by the milk. You're tasting more milk than you are coffee. Same with milk chocolate. You're tasting more milk. You're tasting more of the it is added still very sweeteners. Good, well, it's good, but it's not chocolate in the same sense of a dark chocolate. But then when you get to cheap dark chocolates, whereas I say some people don't like dark chocolates, it has more to do with how it's roasted because it's roasted and charred. So you lose all those single origin flavors and it all gets homogenized into one dark chocolate roasted similar to dark chocolate or dark roasted coffee it's if it gets charred lose a lot of those fermentation compounds you lose a lot of that flavor and you just get a a homogenized chocolate taste burnt chocolate taste so some people that say they don't like 
dark chocolate, well, that's because maybe they've only tried dark roasted dark chocolate, which does, I don't like the taste of dark roasted dark chocolate. I like a, you know, a balanced, uh, you know, I don't know the level of roasting that goes on, but I can actually really taste the differences in that fermentation stage, possibly in the, the single origin aspects of it, but at least the, the wild fermentation aspects of those single origins. And you can really taste some drastic differences when things are, are treated relatively similarly. They're probably roasted slightly different, but treated rather, rather similarly, lighter roast. And wow, the finished product, drastic differences in taste when there's no additives added. It's just beyond just pure chocolate. Yeah. I mean, some, some, the most common additive for an artisanal chocolate bar would be vanilla or, or, or vanilla sugar. bean. Well, yeah, okay. Yes. I'm sorry. Because sugar. You can't have chocolate. Without yeah. Sugar, sugar is definitely a part of of chocolate if it's otherwise going no to be. one would enjoy it well which, I mean, would you well, argue that's probably why it maybe has an addictive quality too because of sugar sugar is back and forth as to how addictive sh- okay. sugar is what I, is I it mean, about I, it I, the I caffeine know. i guess the it's caffeine. the the caffeine the theombramine i can't remember that one exactly but there are compounds in chocolate that do make it slightly addictive it's not nearly as much caffeine as it, something like tea or or coffee or coffee but it is i think what like the third or fourth most way that or it's the consumed the, the, no the third or fourth way that most people are getting their caffeine you know i think it's something like soft drinks are the most in the united states and then coffee i don't know if coffee or, or soft drinks are more but those are kind of right up there and then tea and then chocolate that's kind of where the levels kind of fall and, and most people aren't going to get nearly as much caffeine from their chocolate as if, unless they're eating a lot of chocolate i guess you could get up every morning and have a bunch of chocolate yeah and get your caffeine fix i like my chocolate but mm, not that much not that much. I prefer my coffee in the morning and then chocolate at lunch after I eat. Yes, but th- but this sugar aspect, we're not really getting into that today. We'll probably do it in a history of chocolate episode in the future. A little foreshadowing there. But You foreshadow a lot, which is good. But the uh, there was a time when chocolate did not have any sweetener in it. The Mayan and Inca time period when which, chocolate has been a part of different historical or, or different tribes and and communities throughout history in more of the central america area until it got spread around but it didn't start out being sweet so it wasn't consumed very much I no it was consumed it. very much so but it was also in more ritual or otherwise and it was it means they're still getting the, the 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 caffeine and other effects from it which is generally why some of these things like coffee and teas and otherwise have been fine-tuned to the stage that they are but it wasn't until european interaction that that it really became what is known as chocolate today and then got spread around in colonize in all the colonized different tropical regions so it, that that's looking at a little different but yes it hasn't always been sweet but the chocolate that we know today is a sweet product it's a it's a it's a, a candy it's a it's you know a, a luxury item of sorts a, and a non-necessary item like but, many things that we have today and consume today. Yeah, exactly. And and so So back, back to the fermentation batch. Yeah, fermentation again. So it's different in different regions, but a sweat box is it's just an open lid wooden crate. I wonder if it smells. Oh, it definitely would smell and it it takes on like a apple cider vinegar kind of scent after a few days. Well, that's not bad. I'm, I was imagining like a feet smell. 
No, it's not that kind. Of, I mean, because you're getting alcohol fermentation here more so to start out with, and then you get a little bit more of the acidic fermentation that so so it gets really warm. You know, we're talking like 122 degrees Fahrenheit from this fermentation. So there's no question that fermentation is going on. I mean, it's definitely fermentation. You know, whereas coffee, it's a little bit more question. We'll go back to the coffee episode if you you don't know, but I'd like I mean, to know what we keep referencing yes, to. Exactly. And so the lactic acid bacteria take over once the yeast kind of dwindle out and it's lactobacillus and streptococcus are the two main, the ones that are, are, are a part of that. And, you know, as the oxygen and, and depletes and the pH goes down, it favors the acidic acid, such as acidobacter and gluconobacter. And then after about five days or so, the it contains up to 108 microbes per gram. So there's a lot of activity going on in, in, in this fermentation process. And the, the beans at that point, you know, five to seven days, depending, then they're laid out to dry. They can be artificially dried. I mean, in, a, in, in some kind of machine or, or whatnot, but it's still very traditional that it's just dried out on, on mats. Well, I mean, why use energy and, and machines when you have the heat, if, especially since coffee grows in, in hot chocolates? Chocolate, wow. <laughs> Chocolate grows in hot regions. Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, it, yeah, as long as it's an area that doesn't have too much rainfall during this harvesting season, which it seems to not be as much of an issue for the areas where this is grown. But this is laid out very similar to some of the processing of coffee, but for processing of chocolate, after the fermentation, it's laid out to dry and it's stirred regularly. At this point, molds are a part of it in the drying process. And, and geotrichum is a part of this as well in a lot of a lot of chocolates which is the the geotrichum candidum i don't know if it's geotrichum candidum but in that family of molds that's similar to what's on brie or the vili that i was searching for forever it's so it's 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 something that starts to form and it has to be uh, mixed regularly there's a video where you can see this entire process at a, at a vietnamese plant and it's it's in Vietnamese, but it has English subtitles. Very fascinating to kind of watch the whole process as this guy. It's, I guess it's kind of a training video. I don't, I think it's for Vietnamese farmers, cacao farmers that are, that would do this, but it's, you see towards the end of the video, the sorting process. So after they've dried for a few days, they dry for, you know, a few days to a week as well. And ones that have been over dried, you know, are going to be a lower quality chocolate. Ones that got stuck together, those are going to, you know, form more mold and, and mildew and different things. So those ones are, are junk. And so they, they hand sort all these things out. And Just amazing. The hand sorting? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's intensive work. Yeah. Again, going back to coffee, chocolate and coffee both have, there's a lot of hands that are involved in, in the process from harvest to processing. And then before it gets to whatever country it's going to be finished in. But yeah, it's a, but the geotrichrome, that mold is before it gets sorted is, you know, going to oxidize the lactic acid and acidic acid and any other acids that have formed. And so it's, it's going to already start to help with releasing some of that, some of that, that, that tartness, if you will, sourness. And then, uh, but if, if it continues beyond five days, like I was, I was talking about those ones that, that go too long, it's like the other microbes start growing and, uh, in, instead of just digesting the pulp, which is again, the thing that's been surrounding the bean, that's mainly what they're working on. 
uh, off tastes can start to form from other fungi and uh, lactic acid bacteria that, that start to get into the bean very drastically. But the bean is still being affected in this, in this fermentation process and in this heat. I think that's another aspect of it because you break open the bean, which you can also see in a couple of these different videos. They take a knife and split the bean in half, and that's one way to check for quality and to check to make sure it's been fully fermented. You can see a total difference. It gets a little darker all the way through. So how much of the flavor is the cooking aspect and how much of it is the fermentation aspect? Definitely, it seems like it's more the fermentation, but I'm sure the cooking has something to do with it. I mean, 122 degrees Fahrenheit or, you know, if you want to go in Celsius, 48 degrees Celsius, and that's got to be making a difference as well. So it's like, it sounds like it's both involved, kind of working simultaneously. <laughs> Fermentation, yeah. cooking, both. Yeah, it's it's it, it seems to be that way. And, um, you know, so it's after it's dried, then it gets packaged up and shipped to whichever country is going to finish the, the, the production of it. So usually the farmer does the work up to the drying process and, um, and sorting, and then they kind of ship it off and then... The next stage is um, the next stage after shipping. Well, no, I, I'm just trying to. So, is it the farmer will do the work up to the sorting process, and then it's shipped to whomever is purchasing it, and they will continue the process of like. I don't you have to like. Well, there's a lot of things it. that go on. I mean, when you're saying the farmer, it's not always necessarily the farmer that's or, that's, or the that's doing. I mean, who, farmer workers. It, it happens, yes, farm side usually, like uh, uh, origin countryside. All of those things are happening. The fermentation happens at at the site of origin where it's where it's produced. Now, some of these things might be shipped to fermentation spots. It may not all be done by the the farmer, and especially some of these cooperatives that involve multiple farmers. I mean, you're dealing with multiple people involved in the process. So it's not just, say, one person that's milling their grain and doing everything else that that would be involved in other kind of traditional farm tasks of other foods. But one of the interesting things when you look still at origin side, say, Mexico— they will actually have one that's not really fermented very long at all. I mean, they have a lavado or washed cacao beans and um, the lavado have, are, are the ones that are fermented and the, the washed ones are, they're only fermented for a couple of days. So that why is that? It's cheaper and, and it, it, they kind of just wash off the pulp. So similar to washed coffee, if you go back to the coffee episode. And it episode. works just, to, just as well? Like it's... No, it's actually used in drinking chocolate in Mexico. So it's, it's oh, a lower quality okay. chocolate. Because the fermentation, again, brings out a lot of those flavors. It's lower quality, um, you know, and... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, the lavado is the washed and the fermentado is the fermented. I was going to say... Makes sense. Yeah. So the, the Lovato is the one that, that is, that stays, that's generally not exported. And because it's, it's traditional for a, a drinking chocolate to be used, which they keep as a lot of these countries that are exporting. And it's a major part of their, their income is that they keep the crappier stuff. Unfortunately. Yeah. Which does bring up. Some Unless they like up. it. And that's the traditional food that they've eaten. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, well, plus it's just, it, it does bring up some interesting aspects of, you know, that's, that's where quality is kind of changing. It's like you, in, in order for farmers to understand what is needed on once in the production countries, 
what's needed for these high quality coffees and chocolates is to to really getting them to build a palate and understanding of high quality chocolate. And so, so yeah, so there is more of a movement towards educating farmers because otherwise farmers, yeah, they don't really generally try a lot of, in some of these countries aren't really trying much of their, their product. They're just, it's just a commodity. But if it's looked at it as a culinary pursuit, then it can be pursued a little differently. And, um, and, and looking at it, not so necessarily as much for high production, which is what the major brands have always wanted for the longest time. They want the cheapest, most highest producing, highest yields of, of chocolate. And, you know, the artisanal chocolate maker doesn't necessarily need because they can, they can make a higher profit on higher quality chocolate that's grown to higher standards that may not yield as much. So the, the whole looking at the bigger picture the production of it starts at harvest, goes into fermenting, then it's drying. You know, there's already almost like a week and a half to two weeks that have that have gone on. And then it gets imported or exported and then imported into whichever country it's going to be finished in. And then that's when the cracking and winnowing happens. The milling, the refining, the conching, and the tempering. And then you finally get a chocolate bar. The cracking and winnowing is when it's... It's... Well, I guess that's kind of the 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 roasting so you, you roast it I, I missed that step too but the cracking and winnowing is when it the outer shell of the bean gets removed and then it is the the cock that's where the cacao nib is which is the inner part of the the coffee or the cacao seed so it's the the then it then it gets milled so it gets put into a finer kind of almost powder of sorts and then refining and and conching are kind of where it gets mixed. And so and this what's is the purpose of that. The conching is to, it, it, well, it does, it does a few different things. It's flavor development and it's consistency. It, it's, it's putting the, the cacao butter in mixing it in with the, the, the fats and the solids are kind of mixing together and getting more to be a, that smooth texture it, because it's, it is chocolate at that point. And, and, you know, I'm pretty sure that the sugar is added before that point is that's kind of where the refining stage happens. And then the conching is just pretty much mixing it, mixing it, mixing it can be done in a pestle and mortar for hours and hours if a person wants to. But I mean, this conching stage can be done for up to 72 hours and it really changes the consistency, the smoothness and different aspects of it in the finished bar. And it's usually the step that's the most top secret. Oh, because that's what determines that specific brand's flavor. Or... Yeah. Consistency or it's just, it's, it's considered one of those things that's just kind of it's a their trade secrets. Do you know what the name of that one brand of chocolate is that uh we had tried when we went to the Chicago Food Festival? I couldn't tell you no. Uh but yeah, I, I, someone should look um search I mean they have like is it beef jerky chocolate flavor? Yeah, now that you're, you're talking um, about flavors. I mean we're losing uh, we that would then cover up most of the flavors of the origin or different things like that. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely like the, the cheap, but it's, it, it was really intriguing to try. It's to not try. necessarily that they're using cheap chocolate. It looked like they're getting a little bit higher quality chocolates, but then they're, they're covering up a lot of that with flavor. But I don't which think is, there's anything necessarily wrong with that. That's just, I, I would argue it's just a different recipe with chocolate. I mean, sure. The single origin, the simple, good, high quality flavors of chocolate are great, but I think it's 
honestly fun to do some of these crazy things with chocolate too. I mean, it's kind of crazy well, eating chocolate with real like flavors as a, a real ingredient. Yeah. As I mean, to this flavorings. isn't like fake flavor beef jerky. I mean, or it's like a, a beef stick that was added onto the chocolate. I mean, it's, it's pretty intriguing and it's some, some of those like flavors are really good. Like the banana flavor was delicious. Um, and, um, I think, I, I mean, I personally think some of these experiments people are doing, as long as they're using, in my opinion, better high quality chocolate to work with, it's, it's pretty fun. Um, I mean, sure. I think we've kind of taken chocolate out of the content. Some of these chocolates that we sell in the stores are just not even really chocolate, but this stuff is really good. I'm, I think I'll, I'll follow up in our next episode with the brand. But. Now at the same time, you can get flavors like banana or strawberry or uh, many different flavors in a chocolate bar that has no flavorings whatsoever. And it comes from that fermentation stage from the roasting stage and different things like that. And that, I think that's what kind of excites me even more are the flavors that can come out when there is no flavoring added. Yes, I agree. You you like the... Because it brings out more, again, that stage of fermentation. This is firm up. So I think that, you know, it's it's really is kind of the thing that, that, that interests me. And yes, I mean, it is still a dessert. It is still a culinary ingredient. Chocolate is used as an ingredient in a lot of different things. But when you're just talking about things that are full single origin, you know, not over roasted dark chocolates, it's just amazing the different flavors See, that are out there. I disagree there. I love that with coffee, but with chocolate, I think it's great that people are experimenting. No, no, and no doing I'm not so saying anything against all those things. I'm just saying what I really appreciate when it's it's the fascinating aspects of the whole process. I feel like the other thing it's using it more chocolate is more of an ingredient, which coffee is used as an ingredient in different times oh, too. I mean, chocolate or coffee is kind of an ingredient in a latte or in and especially any kind of flavored drink. It's not about the coffee at that point. It's about using it as a flavor ingredient. Whereas with chocolate, it's the same kind of thing. It's like it can be used as a a flavor ingredient in many desserts, many great tasting things, even non-desserts to a certain extent or drinks or otherwise. But but when it's about the chocolate, in order, like for me, in order to connect back all the way to the farmer, I think the single origin does it the best because it's like, especially lining up different single origin chocolates that maybe were processed in, in different countries and slightly fermented in slightly different ways. The the one chocolate bar that I've I've really enjoyed, and I and I partly enjoy just the story behind it too, is is Rogue Chocolatier. And, I knew you were going to go there. Yeah, and that that's that's one of the my most favorite chocolate bars that I've had because it, it's this one guy. I don't know if he's still. I mean, this was five six years ago when he started, as far as I remember. But it's it was just one one guy that decided you know he was going to pursue artisanal chocolate making and source high quality cacao and and he did this and you know he generally only has three four bars three different single origin chocolate bars at the same time and you know they're like seven dollars seven to twelve i don't I actually no, don't remember I think how it was much around seven to eight back 12. then but i think they've i think they've become a little bit more since then but uh but they but he it's just watching his process unfold with different antique equipment that he's refurbished and, and is using in the process of doing these kind of things. I, I, I'm just fascinated by those kind of things. And, and you have many of those kind of producers that have kind of been forming in the United States and elsewhere in the world over the the p- past 10 years, I'd say. How do you, just if anyone's interesting, how do you spell the, the name of that brand? Rogue? Rogue. Uh, it's R-O-G-U-E. Okay. Just Rogue Coffee. Or Wow. I keep going back to coffee chocolate. Got coffee on your mind. I, well, it, like you, like you said, they're very similar, so it's just hard to, uh, you know, choose one over the other. 
Sure. So yeah, there's definitely, and there are others. I, that's just the one I'm most familiar with and, and some amazing flavors that I've, uh, that, that was my first experience with single origin chocolates in a, in an extreme sense. I'd had other dark chocolates and other single origins, but that was when trying some of those that was next like the to purest each other. of all. Yeah. As pure as you can get with adding sugar to something and different stuff. And yeah, it was, it was very good. And let me tell you, you will not want it. it it's good, but it does not make you want to eat the whole chocolate bar. Yeah, it's it's much more of a, a luxury item in that sense of of it's not it's whereas a lot of cheaper chocolate, you know, Hershey's or otherwise, if a person eats that kind of stuff, yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty, you know, it has that more addicting quality. Oh, I've been there. I've eaten a whole Hershey's bar like in one sitting. Well, there you go. So, yeah, I mean, it, it just, it's not that same kind of it's not that same kind of sensation. It's more of an enjoy savor every moment of it and wanting to keep some to save it on. Now, if a person wants to really get into the whole process of chocolate making. I think in the United States, you're probably kind of limited to a few different regions, probably Florida and Hawaii would probably be the best too, but you can grow your own potted cacao trees. And, or I guess you, you know, if you live in a, a climate that uh, like Hawaii, you can just plant them in your backyard or otherwise, that would but you so cool. That's one thing. I wish I lived somewhere. I could grow my own coffee and chocolate. That, that would just be ideal. Yeah. And then I, you could actually go through the fermentation process so anyone living especially in hawaii that has any cacao trees in their backyard uh, definitely i would be very interested to know if you've ever tried fermenting them in your backyard or i mean fermenting them yourselves and, and doing the whole process in, in your backyard I, I, like, yeah or in, or in your backyard or however however you the fermentation process on the home scale that's the one thing that i i think would be very fascinating to know more about so definitely send us information if you if you do but i have a link in the the show notes also just kind of showing a potted cacao tree and so then with that you can depending on i mean i guess a, a greenhouse of sorts could do it in other regions i don't know if in wisconsin it'd still be possible for us to it would be i just think it'd be way too much work not worth the well possibly i mean it might be it may not be i mean it would be fascinating to have a little plantation of cacao trees i just i, I just i want to hold one of those those pods those those big fruits they just look pretty cool but other than that, I mean, there's there, there wasn't a whole lot of news this week in regard to fermentation or news last week. And, but I guess one of the only links that was kind of fascinating was that I, that I ran across this last week was, was from the cultured pickle shop, which is the place in, in Berkeley that does sauerkrauts and other fermented ferments, kombucha and otherwise pretty sweet place haven't ever been there haven't tried any other stuff but they started doing a blog that really is just you know the the philosophy of fermentation the the act and the process and you know different different things it's just a really kind of a freeform written blog about anything fermentation related or otherwise so it's i've been enjoying it and the one that from this last week was a looking at dehydration with uh with fermented things kind of like i've experimented with before to a certain extent but this these were you know really fascinating with the a beaten fennel brine that was it looked like it was ferment or it was dehydrated as a if you've seen any fruit leathers or otherwise so it just probably put out on a sheet and dehydrated and then it just makes this this leather of sorts this beaten fennel brine leather which there was a couple options on what could it could be used for and but then there was also just thinking about fermented things and i i've i've been curious to try some of 
these kind of concepts of, of fermenting something such as kimchi and then dehydrating it and then grinding it up as a powder to use as a spice. You know, you got a lot of flour in there or a lot of flavor in there. And, and it just would be an, an interesting thing to add to things, especially once it's ground up because then you don't have to deal with the texture, which sometimes is a little weird. I know no, when I, I like, did the, I like the texture. Well, I, I don't mind the texture of say like dehydrated sauerkraut. But when I posted that, that recipe, one person said that they tried it. They were really excited to try it, but then it tasted like a, a kitchen spongy in their mouth. So I'm texture will sometimes bother some people and it is so kind of tough. It, it was different. I mean, you kind of have to fluctuate temperature, find temperature and, and a length of time and getting it to the right level. Because uh, to me, that kind of sounds like it wasn't dehydrated long enough to get a, a nicer crunch. It sounded like it was a little bit more chewy. So everyone's dehydrator is going to be different, especially if it's a different well, brand or otherwise. The thickness of the... The thickness of, of the sauerkraut that, that was made or otherwise, but it is, it's something to experiment with. And it's something that I've still been experimenting with, but it's something that I want to try because some of the things that, you know, a fermented chili powder and, and flakes was another one in this blog post and lime pickle powder. That sounds like a great seasoning to use as well. But I, I, I definitely am inspired to try a few more things, especially thinking in dehyd fermented and then dehydrated seasonings sound, uh, very appealing to me and i'd like to because then that just a whole new flavor so get on it yes i do need to i do need to get on that and and i think one of the first ones i'll try is, is a kimchi because i don't think necessarily the texture of a kimchi would necessarily be that that enjoyable dehydrated depending on how everything's cut and how everything especially is especially since i personally love kimchi as is well yeah but this is just about trying to extend the I possibilities know, just saying i like my kimchi as kimchi well, you can keep your kimchi as kimchi. I'll continue exploring <laughs> the possibilities, which reminds me, I need to start another batch of, of kimchi, but I, so that I can actually try this out, but dehydrating it and seeing what that tastes like as a seasoning, because I'm sure it could be used on all kinds of things. You don't agree? Oh, no, no, no. I, no, go for it. I'm curious to hear your uh, results. Well, hopefully next week there'll be a little bit more news we'll cover a, a, a few more things but it's just been kind of a, a little bit of a low on not too much stuff happening in the fermentation world that i've been able to catch but i mean there's plenty going on but you know things that aren't just repeats or otherwise of of, of things trying to keep it fresh a little bit around here fresh and fermented fresh and fermented kind of an oxymoron to a certain extent but exactly but i, I like it so if you would like to get a hold of us or talk to us about chocolate whatsoever then uh, send us an email at podcast at firmup.com or you can just put it right in the show notes. If you go to the show notes link and, and you could, there's discuss comments available there. You can just put something directly in the comment for the show, which you can find the show notes for this episode at firmup.com slash podcast slash 24. And you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Pinterest at firmup. And we look forward to uh, hearing from you until next week. Firm up.